Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity as men to gather and to, to get into your word. Lord, we thank you for the book of Joshua. We thank you for how Joshua points us to Jesus. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Open our eyes, God, to, so that we may see the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader? Does it mean that you have to have your life all together? Does it mean that you have to have a lot of charisma in your personality? That you must be able to speak before large groups? Does it mean that you have to be a Christian for a certain amount of time and then you get promoted? Does it mean that you have to be discipled by some great person? or that you must attend some great church, or that you must have a track record of, of massive success. None of those things, really. But there is one thing that you need, that you absolutely need if you want to be a spiritual leader. Somehow, there has to be a very close and consistent link between you and God's Word. Amen. The Word of God, you must possess a passion for the Scriptures. And when you do, that will be communicated, and it will impact the people in your sphere of influence. People will discover your love for Christ, and they'll discover your love for this book. One of the most important verses in the book of Joshua is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law... For us, it's the whole Bible shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. The navigators have this like famous illustration they call the hand illustration, and it, and it describes the five different ways that we can take the scriptures into our lives. First is we can we can hear the scriptures. So we can go to church on Sunday morning, we hear somebody speak the scriptures, and then the second finger is you read the scriptures. And the third, your middle finger is you study the scriptures. The pointer finger is that you memorize the scriptures. But the key to getting a real grasp on God's word is the thumb, which is to meditate on the scriptures. Because if you think about trying to hold your Bible without your thumb, how easily somebody could come and just take it away, steal it. And think about how many Christians, all they do is they hear the word of God. So you can hardly balance a Bible on your pinky finger. But if we, if we meditate on the scriptures and let them sink deeply into our heart, nobody can take it away from us. So we need to have a, a grasp of the scriptures. Well, why do we make such a big deal about studying every book of the Bible? It's because the whole Bible is about Jesus. 
It's his story. In fact, we believe that all of history is his story. And if we're looking at the Bible through spiritual eyes as true believers, we just might see Jesus on every page. So this morning, what I want to do with the book of Joshua is I want us to see seven ways we see Jesus in Joshua. But before we do that, I have some quick background information. Joshua was a man of many identities. He was born a slave in Egypt. He was a spy. He was one of the 12 spies that went into the promised land. And only he and Caleb came back with a positive report. He was Moses' servant. He was an experienced soldier. And he became Moses' successor. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. And in Greek, his name means Jesus. One could outline the book of Joshua like this. Chapters 1 through 12, the conquest of Canaan. Chapters 13 to 21, the division of the land. Chapters 22 to 24, Joshua's farewell addresses and his death. The parallel book for the book of Joshua in the New Testament is Ephesians. See, for us as followers of Jesus, it's not about physical warfare. What we need to think about and be concerned about is spiritual warfare. We're going to learn today that Joshua faced walls of stone when he was fighting Jericho, trying to defeat Jericho. But there are other walls. For you and I, it's walls of bitterness or unforgiveness, walls of habitual sin, Walls of unyielding mediocrity, walls of self, self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, self-dependence, strongholds that keep believers from being mighty warriors for God, strongholds that keep others from seeing the gospel. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We must never lose sight of the fact that even though we know who wins the war, that we are in a great spiritual battles right now for the hearts and souls of countless millions and millions of lives. Keeping this in mind will help us get more out of the book of Joshua. So let's dive in and read chapter one. Could I ask Big Dan to read Joshua chapter 1? All right, Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean, the sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong, 
and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that the Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, wherever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against you, word against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command him, death, only be strong and courageous. Thanks, Big Dan. So what I wanted you to notice in this chapter is three times Joshua is admonished to be strong and courageous. And I thought a lot about this this week, three times. And I've come to the conclusion that the reason is because Joshua didn't feel strong and courageous. I think he felt the opposite. I think he felt weak and fearful. Now, why would he feel that way? He felt that way after Moses died. I mean, Moses was his leader, his mentor, perhaps even his discipler. But you and I know that Moses was even more than that. Moses was so close to God that he had to wear a veil over his face after he met with him. It's the only person in scripture that he was like that. Can you imagine? Imagine being his friend and going and visiting him and he's got a veil on his face. I'd want to like peek under it. Like, you know, what did his face look like? But it's hard to think about how Joshua felt after Moses died. But I think he felt scared. I think he felt weak and fearful. But you know what? He chose to walk by faith, not in fear. And Joshua, like Jesus, chose to follow God's law. Joshua is a great example of how to live a life of faith and obedience to the Lord. Embedded in the historical narratives are some of the aspects of Joshua's experience that hint at the person and work of Jesus. Throughout the book, God tells Joshua to dedicate himself to the law of the Lord, not departing from it to the right or the left, meditating on it and practicing its, its precepts. 
He's promised military success if he obeys the law of the Lord. In a greater way, Jesus perfectly kept the law, delighting to live out the Lord's law. It was his bread. It was his food. It was his very purpose and mission. And if Joshua led well by following the Lord and his word, how much more will Jesus lead us? He's the only one who perfectly obeyed the will of his father. And so the first way we see Jesus in the book of Joshua is as a leader who follows God's law. Now, let's move on to chapter 2. Ray, could I ask you to read chapter 2? Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had just laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, or what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. 
If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you have made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then as the two men started back, they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. I think I just set a record. I think I made Ray read the longest passage ever in this study. I just, I, this morning I was thinking, how can I cut some of this out? But I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out verses to cut out because it's just so, so amazing. So good. In this chapter, Joshua sends spies to Jericho. And, and by the way, the diagram behind me, it's about a 15-minute journey that these two spies went across the Jordan over to Jericho. Jericho is also known as the city of palm trees. It, it had a great climate, and it's, it, was, it sits about 800 feet below sea level because it's near the Dead Sea. It was most likely one of the oldest fortified cities in the world with walls that were six foot thick and towers 12 feet high over the walls. But this story of Rahab is amazing. I mean, notice that Joshua didn't send 12 spies. He only sent two. <laughs> Why? I mean, maybe it was just because 12 would be too easy to identify and, and, and get captured. But maybe it was related to only two spies had, had a good report the last time spies went out. But these two guys decide the best way to find out what the people in Jericho are thinking is to approach a prostitute. Pretty clever idea there. Luckily for them, they found the one that would help them be successful in their mission. Rahab lies and risks her life to save their lives. And they, in turn, promise to save everyone who remains in her house when they attack Jericho. So how does Jesus show up here? Well, Joshua honors the two spies' request to save Rahab and her family, so we see Joshua, like Jesus, as a deliverer who rescues sinners. I mean, it would have been natural for Joshua to forget about or overlook the promise of protection made to Rahab during the battle for Jericho. But Joshua keeps the promise by having the spies whom Rahab saved become her saviors. So in Joshua chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it says, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had, who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. 
Her promiscuous work does not prevent Joshua from saving Rahab. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, it says, But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Rahab was undeserving of God's mercy, yet she and her family were delivered by Joshua. And that points us to Jesus, because Jesus offers salvation to the undeserving, doesn't he? I mean, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, about Christ's mercy to us, that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Or someone might die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So like Joshua, Jesus brings salvation to those whose lives and actions neither earned nor deserved such deliverance. Okay, let's jump forward to chapter 5, and I promise you the scripture reading will be shorter. Those first two chapters, I just couldn't cut things out. I tried, I thought about it, and I, but I, I just, they're just so good. And in a, in a, in a few minutes here, I'll, I'll open the floor for your comments and questions. But in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, there's this amazing passage, and it's right before Joshua's ready to conquer Jericho. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, or neither, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I love this passage because here's Joshua. He is ready for war. He is confident. He was prepared. He was like in the zone. And then he has this strange encounter with another warrior. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And I love the answer. Neither. But I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Wait a minute. Isn't he on Joshua's side? Well, it seems like this warrior is telling Joshua that Joshua was asking the wrong question. It's not, are you for us or for our enemies? It's, are you fighting for God or against God? Are you fighting for God or against God? Are you on God's side? So there's a lot of controversy. Who is this warrior that Joshua comes in contact with? Well, he can't be an angel because angels won't let you worship them. It must be the incarnate Christ. Where else in the Bible do you see someone who told you to take off their sandals because the place you were standing was holy? Moses, right? Same thing happened to Moses when he said, you know, when he encountered God in the, the burning bush. So here we see Joshua and Jesus 
as warriors who are ready to conquer their enemies. And it's, you know, this picture of, of Jesus as a warrior, you know, you don't really see it much in the, you don't see it at all in the Gospels, but you do see it in Revelation. You see this picture of Jesus as this mighty warrior. So Joshua is often remembered as a warrior, a conqueror who destroyed the Canaanite armies. Jesus is also presented as a conquering warrior at times in the New Testament especially regarding the spiritual realm. So in 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. At the cross, God the Father, Ephesians 2, verse 15, disarmed the rulers and authorities of the angelic world and put them to open shame by triumphing over them through the cross. Jesus defeated death through his death and resurrection, so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Joshua, like Jesus, is a warrior who conquers his enemies. This is a good place for me to pause and see if there's anybody wants to make any comments or questions. Yeah, Ray. Going back to Rahab, in Matthew we read, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She is part of the genealogy of Jesus. Yeah, it's amazing. So to follow up on Ray's point, it isn't that Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. Within his genealogy, there are sinners. When he puts on human flesh, he takes on all the frailties of humankind. Mm. Other comments or thoughts? Jim, did you have a comment too? Like that, this whole scene too about uh, the, the Lord of hosts showing up, right? And, and you know, Joshua says, who are you? And we really would have expected him to say, well, I'm here to help you, right? I'm here to help Israel conquer, you know, Jericho. And I think he does, right? Because these walls fall down right afterwards. It's not because they march around it, right, and create some sort of earthquake, right? So something goes on there. But I like the fact that he doesn't identify necessarily with Israel. Because if you kind of take your lens and go way out, there's something bigger happening than just Israel conquering the land. And, you know, in the Old Testament, God was using Israel to reveal himself to the world. In the New Testament, he uses the gospel in the church. But Israel was God's instrument. He was God's plan. And, and God wasn't involved just because he loved Israel. Because right, right there in chapter 4 at the end, he tells Joshua why he was doing all these miracles uh, through his lifetime. And he says, I've done this so that all peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And so, yeah, Jesus has a bigger plan than just reaching Israel, right? It's reaching the world. He's going to do it through Israel until they become too unfaithful for him to use, and he has to discipline them. But that's the biggest, that, that's the take the lens way out, you know, the, the, the whatever that, that, that software program is, Google Planet Earth, it will go way out. You know, and you see God's plans is for the whole world. And in and, and, and Genesis, it starts back there. I'll bless you, Abraham. So all the families of the earth 
will be blessed, right? So his big picture includes me even back then. You know, it includes the Gentiles. So I'm grateful. And, and, and that scene there when the angel of the Lord says, I'm not necessarily just for you. I have a bigger mission. I come as captain of the Lord of hosts. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.